All right, Father, we thank you for um, this evening as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. We thank you for uh, what we have learned tonight, what we've learned over the past few weeks, and what we will learn tonight. We thank you that our Christian experience with you will move into another level. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right, so today we are we are concluding on our series on the pursuit of Christ. And this particular series, we've been using a resource material. That's our book by our presiding bishop. Amen. So I, I believe most of you have bought the book. I want to believe so. The book is sold on Kindle, like I said, for $4.99. It's just a Kindle edition. If you want a hard copy, uh, that is something that could be arranged, amen. But all that is being sold on Amazon is just the Kindle edition. And so far, we've looked at three chapters, amen. Um, we looked at chapter one. Chapter one has to do with the pursuit of Christ. Uh, we looked at chapter two. And when we talk about the pursuit of Christ, we, we were looking at the author's hearts about what it really means to pursue Christ. And it took some uh, statements from Apostle Paul's message in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. We, we, we talked about, um, uh, I, I haven't attained, but I press on towards the mark uh, to have um, a victorious call. So so we learned, we learned about that. Uh, how to pursue Christ. That that is the the crux of the message. So we talked about we had to really make it our aim to seek God. That that is the main thing. And how do we seek God? We 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 went about that scripture in Second Peter chapter one verse three that we seek God through knowledge. And when we seek God, what happens is that we experience multiplied grace. And peace. We looked at that in Second Peter chapter one verse three. So uh, that was the sort of preamble to the teaching. And I think um, our next installment was on chapter three. Chapter three talks to us about how do we pursue God, and we realize that we pursue God by pressing on. We pursue God by forgetting about the things that are behind. And we press God by, we pursue God, I'm sorry, by pressing forward. And we looked at that now from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. So the whole book is written from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. That's the anchor scripture through which um, different truths, or if I should say revelation, came from. And then last week, we looked at chapter 4. Chapter 4 talks to us about the mark of successful people. And we realize that we are talking about successful people. Successful people are people who pursue God. It's very different from what you are used to call success. And we looked at Abraham, Moses, right? And then one more. Did we look at, uh, uh, who did we look at? Abraham, Moses, and Enoch, right? Yeah. So Abraham, Moses, and Enoch. And there are many examples. In fact, there are about eight examples in this chapter. But we just picked three and looked at. So if you buy the book and if you read, you will get the full import of that message. So today we are concluding our, our series on chapter five, The Strength of Weakness. Uh, so chapter five is page 37. That's if you have the book. And, and today we are going to understand why is it called the strength of weakness. But before that, if you read chapter four carefully, 
the author closes that chapter with a scripture that I want us to read. So go with me to Job chapter 23, verse 9. Job chapter 23, verse When he works on the left hand, I cannot be held in. This is Job talking. When God's work on the left hand, Job says, I can't behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Amen. So, the uh, you know, Job is a poetic book. Job, Job, is believed, Job is believed to be seen in two regards. He's seen as a poet. He's also seen as a prophet. Most times when they are talking about the prophetic books, they add Job to it. Uh, when they are looking at poetic books, they look at Psalms, Proverbs, and then Job. Job is a poet. Because there is so many... Um, why poetry? Poetry in a sense that uh, Job uses a lot of euphemism, a lot of figurative expressions to say something. That's why it's seen as um, a poetic book. Amen. And this is one of them. So this, this is more like a poem. He's you know, um, who is God? God is a spirit, right? God is a spirit. And they that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. So God is not like us. It's not a human being. God is a, is a divine being, a spirit being. But sometimes... Words like left hand and right hand, they are used uh, to, to give us a little bit of picture of who God is. I understand what I mean. But when we go to heaven and if God doesn't have left or right hand, I would not be surprised because God is God. He's God, okay? But right here, when Job uses the word left hand and right hand, like, like you know, there are some scriptures that uses... Uh, the term like God's right hand. And and God's right hand normally is a euphemism for his strength, his power, his majesty. And then there are some scriptures to wait to us about his left hand. His left hand normally stands for mystery. I understand what I mean. So these are euphemisms. Okay, so we could read a scripture like this. When God works in mysteries, I'm not able to behold. And when he turns to his majestic power, I cannot see him. Do we understand? So when Paul, when, when so when Job is talking like this, it's more of euphemism. It's more of like a poem that is on earth to give a deeper meaning or a deeper truth to what he's really saying. So. It leads the author now to chapter 5. It talks about, if you look at the first heading, pursue a spiritual understanding of God's work at the left hand. Because the left hand of God is normally seen to be mysterious. You know, humanly speaking, in to the Jews, if you were a left hand, you were not normal. A left hand is normally seen as a defect, as a deformity. It's believed that the strength of a man is in his right hand, not the left. But to God, when left hand is being applied to, it's not seen as deformity or weakness. It's seen more as mystery. Perhaps something that God doesn't want us to see. Perhaps something that is shrouded in code or in mystery. For God, when that word left hand is applied to that euphemism, that is what it really means. So in chapter 5, the author implores upon the reader to go deeper into pursuing God. Amen. And there's a scripture that he uses, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 
Let's go in here, chapter 2, verse 14. So to understand chapter 5 of the book, you have to read chapter 4. And chapter 4 is about the mark of successful people, which we did talk about last week. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So right here, you could say it's discerned because it's on God's left hand. It's a mystery, right? So normally we interpret the scripture to say that the natural man cannot understand anything but superficial spiritual matters, which is equally true. But um, the, the author also challenges us that this also applies to a Christian. So it's not just talking about the natural man as one who hasn't received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior, but a Christian who also tends to walk more by his senses, who hasn't trained his faith enough, who hasn't trained his faith to the place of growth, is also a natural man. So that's the challenge the author puts to us, that it's not only a natural man as one who hasn't received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior, but a Christian who hasn't trained his faith enough to grow into the stature of Christ and who relies more on the senses. It's also a natural man. And these two classes of people do not receive anything from God. And, and you know, the Bible lets us know that the natural man receives not the things of God because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know. The, the, the mystery of God is foolishness. If you are not able to decode it, you are not able to understand it. It's foolishness. Why foolishness? Not foolishness because it's unwise. Foolishness because um, I am not learned in that area. So the things of God to me, I'm not able to assimilate them. That's why it's foolishness. Amen. You understand? So like, if you've not learned something, it becomes foolish to you. It becomes foolish to you not because it's an unwise thing. It becomes foolish to you because you don't get it. You know, I, I believe that most of us here work, and I'm sure in every work there are codes. Now, let's say you, you tend to give me one of your codes. You know, sometimes my wife and I, we do share our work schedule on our calendar on our phone. So, you know, when I check the calendar on my phone, I see her work schedule and vice versa. You know, whatever that we want to do, holidays, anything, we just put it in the calendar, which is linked to our phones. So sometimes when I look at her phone, I do ask her a question. What's the meaning of one? Because she just writes numbers. So that's why I don't understand the numbers. And so there's the place I'm going to. This is where I work. That's where I work. It's codes. You see, but if, if someone works with her, when the person sees the code, the person will understand it. So I'm not able to understand her code because it's foolishness to me. It's not foolishness to me because it's unwise. It's foolishness to me because I am unlearned in that area and I need her expertise to understand those quotes or those standards she's pulling upon. Do you understand? So that, that is what it means when the Bible says that we are not able to understand the things of God because they are foolishness. Not that they are unwise, but you are unlearned, so it's foolishness to you. Do you understand? So now, the strength of weakness means we have to pursue God to make sense of something. So... The author is going to talk about some things that we, we have to understand. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. 
First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing to the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Have not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So the author is exhorting, pursue the foolishness of God's work on the left hand. What's the foolishness of God's work here? Preaching. Because just like it said, for it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? You know, um, this was written to an intellectual society. Corinth was known as a city of intellect. Very academic, very scholarly people. People who tend to reason so much to the extent that they believe they didn't need God. That's the type of people that the Corinthians were. Very scholarly people. They believe so much in wisdom. They believe so much in academia and intellect. And they really believe that they didn't need God. And that's why it was quite difficult, historically speaking, to minister to the Corinth people or the Corinthians. You know, history is befuddled by how Paul was able to build a large church in, in Corinth. Because before Paul, there had been many missiologists, people who are in, or missionaries. There had been many missionaries. Almost all of them had filled flat. But for some reason, when Paul went to Corinth, he was able to break through uh, the hardened cold war of intellectualism and academia and build a very large church. It was said that one of the very largest churches in Paul's missionary journeys was the church of Corinth. And history is befuddled as to how Paul was able to break through. Well, it's not really befuddling. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gave the secrets there. He said, I, I, I went there not to make uh, the excellency of man's speech known. I didn't come in the power and in the intellect of my wisdom. I just came that Christ and him being crucified should be known. So I, I believe that the reason why Paul was able to break through that barrier was that he just preached the simple message of Christ. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then he went, he, 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 he went forth in the demonstration of power. Let's just read it. First Corinthians chapter 2. I feel like it would be better if we read it. <clears throat> so this is the secret of Paul's success in ministry. How he was able to break through uh, such people who were known to be extreme thinkers or thought leaders, as we will call, we'll call them in this world. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with the excellence of speech or of wisdom, declare, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. So Paul didn't go there to match them boots for boots in terms of intellectual stimulation, in terms of intellectual debates. You know, scribes were very intellectual too. They could debate. They, they, they were trained in the art of reasoning, debating, and trying to make their points. So Apostle Paul was also schooled in those areas. But if you go there with that, matching them boots for boots, you might win the arguments, but you might not win a suit. Paul is saying that I didn't go there with the excellence of speech. I didn't go there of human wisdom and intellect. That's not how to reach an intellectual society. For I determined to know 
anything among you except Jesus and him crucified. So Paul was saying that this is how I broke through to the Corinthian society. I went there preaching to them the crucifixion of Jesus. That's it. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trouble. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. You know, when you see people who are a bit intellectual, you might be tempted to sway them with intellect. But Paul is saying that that's not how to reach them. He didn't go there with persuasive words of human wisdom. But in demonstration of spirit and power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of God, but in the power of God. So this is how Paul is able to break through, right? So now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. He's saying, now where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this world? Have not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So the world here is not talking about the universe. The world here is referring to the world of the Corinth. This written in context, right? Because there were some people who also did not know God because of rebellion and sin. But the Corinthians in general... They did not know God because of wisdom. They rely too much in to uh, they rely too much on their academic prowess and, and their intellectual abilities to the point that they were able to reason and cancel God out. That is why they didn't know God. Okay, so when Paul is talking about this, the world, he's not talking about the whole world. Because there were people in the whole world who knew. Christ, but they just refuse to come to the knowledge of Christ. Like in Romans chapter 1, Paul says something. God had to give man to the end of himself to be debased. So it's not everybody that this scripture really applies to. Are, are you understanding me? So it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. So when we are talking about pursue the foolishness of God's work here, it's talking about preaching. So that's God's work here. So you have to understand that. Pursue that. Pursue that. So we, we shouldn't be like Job and become helpless. That's the point. Job chapter 23 verse 9. I'm pursuing God on the left hand. I can't pursue him. You know, God is not really a mystery. It's in the pursuing of God that things will become crystal clear. God is not a mystery. God doesn't desire that he will be shrouded in mystery. God doesn't desire that he will be in quotes. God desires to be as plain as water. God desires to be crystal clear. But that will happen in pursuit of him, in pursuit of hoping to develop a relationship with him. Then we'll understand. So one of the things we will come to understand is his work, his work. And his work here supernaturally is preaching. And it's, it contradicts the foolishness of this world. It, it contradicts the wisdom of this world, I'm sorry, which is foolish. Because Apostle Paul is saying that he didn't really influence the Corinthians by wisdom. He didn't influence the, the Corinthians by intellectual power, but to what seems foolish to them, what seems unwise to them is preaching. So we have to learn how to pursue the works of God. And the work of God in context here is preaching. Do you understand? So if we want to big break through and, and, and reach many barriers, there are many hardened barriers. In, in today's world, there are many hardened barriers, many hardened barriers. If you want to reach through them, understand the foolishness of God's work. And, and one of them in code to understand is how preaching 
is able to change the hardened soul. You know, Paul marvels me because for someone who was trained so much to be an intellectual, at what point in his Christian faith did he learn not to rely so much on his intellectualism to rely on the foolishness of preaching to witness? That's a tough one. That, that is the illiteracy of the 21st century. The illiteracy of the 21st century is not reading and writing. I, I believe education has come so far and has covered almost majority of the earth where people can now read and write. But when we are talking about illiteracy in the 21st century, it's people who refuse to learn, unlearn, and relearn. I believe Apostle Paul really had a lot of unlearning to do. He had to unlearn. He had to first and foremost learn Christ. Then he had to unlearn all his Jewish traditions, which had to do with mind power, relying on intellectual abilities. He had to unlearn that and now relearn how to believe that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And then set on course to be a great blessing. So that's very powerful. So for me, when I when I read this, I see a lot of work in Apostle Paul's life for him to come to this conclusion. Because Apostle Paul was no dummy. He himself was a great intellectual. But for him to come to this point and conclude that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man, it talks to me to the degree of his pursuits of God. And ladies and gentlemen, all of us will have to come to that place. You know, I talk about the pursuit of Christ. Don't just see it as a yearly thing. It should be a life goal, irrespective of the theme for next year. Pursuit of Christ should be a life goal. We should always pursue God so that the things that seem foggy, the things that seem mysterious, the things that seem coded will all become as plain as water, will all become crystal clear. Do you understand? All right. Do you understand? Can you give me some emoji or something to let me know you understand? All right. Now, the second thing. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 to 16. First Corinthians chapter two, verse eleven to sixteen. I'm reading in King James because this book, most of the quotations are in King James. For what man knoweth the things of a man? Save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. So be very encouraged, Christian brother, Christian sister. There is nothing like mystery in our Christian work and Christian experience with God because we have not received the spirit which is of the world, but we have received the spirit which is of God that we might know the things which are freely given to us. So everything that has to do with salvation, that is a gift to us. Everything that has been freely given to us, God has given us the ability by his spirit to be able to understand. Amen. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual items with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, 
yet he is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So in this scripture, the, the second thing that we are to pursue is the mind of Christ. Pursue the mind of Christ. Amen. And pursuing the mind of Christ will help us to walk in the will of the Lord. Amen. And we have to learn how to rely on the Spirit. And you can't rely on the Spirit if you don't know the Bible. Because everything that the Holy Spirit is going to teach you is going to line up with the pages of the written book. So if you don't know the Bible, you can't be led by the Spirit. Because most times people are expecting some goosebump, some chill bump, some feeling, uh, some euphoria. So know that this is how the Spirit leads me. The Spirit is going to lead you by the letters of the written book, by the pages of the written book. So when you find yourself steering in direction to what is written in the Bible, that is the Holy Spirit leading you. That's the Holy Spirit leading you. That's why um, um, Apostle John wrote one of the most powerful um, truths in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Believe not every spirit. Every spirit has to be tested. Every spirit has to be judged. And I like what it says there that when you are a spiritual man, you judge all things. You judge all things. You investigate. You discern. Amen. So when we are Christians and when we are being led by the spirits, we are not naive. We are investigative. We judge. We analyze. We scrutinize. That is different from relying on mind power or brain power. That's very different. You, you have to do that to ascertain the genuineness of the Spirit of God. That's why judgment has to come into place. Amen. That's why First John 4 verse 1 lets us to that. Beloved, believe not every spirit. So we have to be able to place a balance so that we don't go on the extreme ends. Amen. So one of the things we have to pursue is the mind of Christ. We have to pursue the works of God, the foolishness of God's work. Amen. You will say it's foolish because it's coded to you, but as you know, God, all that forgiveness will become very clear. Know the foolishness of God. Know the mind of Christ. It takes being spirit-led to know the mind of Christ. Amen. And that's why we need to read the Bible. Our advocate that this year, if you really want to pursue Christ, read the Bible. And like I have said in, in earlier times, try this year, make it a goal to read the Bible cover to cover. You could do it chronologically or in any other order. All right? You can decide that, okay, today I'm just going to focus on the law or I'm going to focus on the um, prophets. I'm going to focus on New Testament. However you want to do it, just make sure you do it. Amen. Make sure, make sure you do it. Before, before this year ends, before 31st December, Say to yourself that I have acquainted myself with the mind of Christ. That's how you are going to acquaint yourself with the mind of Christ. If you are expecting that you are going to sit down and harm and, you know, become like some of these Eastern religious practices, you are not going to know the mind of Christ anytime soon. I'm telling you, wake up. The only way to know the mind of Christ is to take the Bible which is also his will. That's how you know the mind of Christ. And begin to dig deeper and search the truth. All right? And, and that's how you become a spiritual man. You don't become a spiritual man. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't become a spiritual man because you are superstitious. You become a spiritual man because you are led by the written word of God. So let me give you an example of a spiritual man. Someone does something something against you and your fellow hurts. You remember the Bible says forgive. When you forgive the person, that's a spiritual man. 
Are you understand me? Not someone who is always hearing voices. Not someone who is always... Because sometimes to be hearing all the time, you are hearing voices, you might be hallucinating. You might be hallucinating. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes we have made the Holy Spirit to make us feel like, you know, we have schizophrenia and things like that. But when we say that you are led by the Spirit, it means you are led by the written word of God. If your choices are led by the written word of God, if your values are based on the written word of God, if your decisions are based on the written word of God, you are led by the Spirit of God. Amen. So let's try and get that right. But don't always ask, you know, I'm, I'm looking for some sensation, some voice, some epiphany. And I'm not saying you, you won't have all that if you've been a Christian for some time. You, you have supernatural manifestations or spectacular manifestations, if I should say so. But that is not the end or be or of Christianity. Let me, in this line, recommend a book to you. It's called I Believe in Visions. This was a man who experienced the spectac spectacularity of, of God, you know, in the form of visions and things coming to him. You, you know, the book is called I Believe in Visions, but by the time you finish reading the book, the title of the book should be, I believe in the simplicity of God's word. Because the, the author's premise to the book is not to really talk so much about visions, but to talk more about how real God is. It's a book written by Kenneth Higgins. I believe in visions. Amen. So... Buy that and read it. And then you you understand what it really means to be led by the Spirit of God versus being led by sensations or the spectacular. Not everything spectacular is supernatural. But sometimes supernatural things can be spectacular. Do you understand? Look at Elijah. The Bible says that God sent him to a place that he was going to speak to him. And Elijah was very used to the spectacular. There's a man that could call fire down from heaven. Fire will come from heaven to consume sacrifices. So he's used to the spectacular. There's the man who can say, if I be a man of God. I mean, Elijah, I think his symbol was fire. He was a fireman. Let fire come down from heaven to consume the prophets. Fire came, consume prophets. That's Elijah. But when he went to the cave... For God to speak to him. The Bible says that the fire was present, wind came, but the Lord was not in any of them. And then there was a still small voice. But thank God that even though Elijah was used to the spectacular or, or the spectacularity of God, he did not really rely on that. He relied on the supernatural. God was in the still small voice. Amen. So I think Pastor Jessica has put the link down there. You could just click it and buy it. And the reason why I say that is that pursue the mind of Christ. Pursue the mind of Christ. And this man, even though he talked about visions and everything, he said that at the end of the day, what really matters most is the word of God. We are not led by visions. Amen. So let's get the real meaning of what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen. How many of us understand? I want to know. Is it clear? Do you understand? I want participation, please. Just yeah, be active on your emojis. I want to see. Do you understand? Do we get it? Only one person. Okay, good. Now, the third thing. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. I think we'll take this, this last one. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. So you see, I'm rushing, I'm trying to finish, I'm, I'm against time. But if you buy the book, you can just take your time and then just read it and absorb it, assimilate it, ask yourself questions. That's the thing about a book. A book is a patient teacher. You have the book, you read it. Okay, I don't understand it. Let me read it again. 
What does it mean? You pray about all that stuff. You get more out of a book than preaching from a book. Amen. So please, everybody should buy the book. $4. Amen. And their houses shall be turned unto others. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. And their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the lots and upon the land's inhabitants, serve the Lord. Everyone is given to covetousness, from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, and from the prophets, even unto the priest, and everyone dealeth falsely. They have also slightly healed the hurt of my people's daughter, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So according to the scripture, pursue spirituality rather than the flesh. Pursue spirituality. So here you could see that the flesh is really in charge here. This scripture in context is talking about the backsliding state of Israel. Even though they had the law, they had the commandments of God, they had strayed from them, and they had descended into a life of backsliding. Um, the whole book of Jeremiah really points to the backsliding state, almost apostate state of Israel. And, and that's why they were in captivity. And for this reason, a prophet was raised up by God called Jeremiah to warn the people the error of their ways and turn back to follow God. So that's why the whole book of Jeremiah is written. Jeremiah is written to highlight the backsliding state of Israel and also to warn them to come back. Otherwise, nothing of them will work. There will not be a sovereignty. They will be poor and all that. So if you read the whole book of Jeremiah, basically that's, that's it in the nutshell. But um, our desire to satisfy the flesh has led to fighting. And just like what it's saying here, everyone is given to covetousness, greed. And it mentions a whole lot of people, from the least to the greatest. It even includes priests here. Everyone. Houses have been turned to others. Um, and that's not good. Pursue spirituality rather than the flesh. So three things we are supposed to pursue. We are supposed to pursue the foolishness of God's work. And in this context, the foolishness of God's work is preaching. So it's contextualized. So when I'm talking about the foolishness of God's work, I've explained it earlier on. It's foolish not because it's unwise. It's foolish because you are unlearned. But as you begin to pursue God, that which is foolish will become wisdom to you. That which is coded will become decoded. Uh, that which seems to be mysterious and foggy will become very clear. We all have to come to a place where we can say of the truth, I understand the work of God. I understand what God is presently doing because of my relationship with God. It's not foolish. We all have to come to that place. The second thing is that we have to pursue the mind of Christ. Pursue the mind of Christ. You pursue the mind of Christ you will know the will of God for your, eyes, for your life. And the third thing is that we have to pursue spirituality rather than the flesh. Amen. Pursue spirituality rather than the flesh. The, the more your pursuit of God, the more spiritual you become. And there is a danger when you continue to walk in the flesh. Romans 8 verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. You do yourself no favors. There is no benefit whatsoever to be fleshly or to be carnally minded. And when we talk about someone who is carnally minded, it means to be led by your senses, to be led by your desires, to be led by your earthly emotions. That's what it means to be carnally minded. Bible says the end of that is death. Amen. So with this. I want us to draw the curtains to our series.
Amen. So we've talked about the pursuit of Christ, chapter one. Uh, we went straight to chapter three. I didn't even focus on chapter two. We went to chapter three. How do we pursue God? We've looked at the mark of successful people. The mark of successful people is to pursue God. And we read that scripture last week in Genesis chapter 39, where it says that Joseph was a successful man because God was with him. Success in the eyes of God is pursuing God, feeling the presence of God or experiencing the presence of God because you pursue God. And today we went to chapter five. We talked about the strength of weakness. And the strength of weakness that we have to come to a place that we don't know. We know that we don't know. That's a weakness. And then pursue God. And what becomes weakness definitely becomes strength. Amen. So that's it for tonight. I want to believe that um, the four installments on the presiding bishop's book has blessed you. Buy the book. And you can even buy some for somebody. If you know someone who likes reading Kindle, and just buy some. If you want hard copies, let me know. I could also arrange for that. Amen. And that's it for tonight. In fact, the whole book has eight chapters. So you do yourself a lot of good if you read through all the eight chapters. Amen. So we've just tackled chapters one, three, four, and five. Right, just four chapters, which which now leaves us with two, six, seven, and eight. So you read everything, uh, you get the whole pie, the whole message of the book. Amen. Who's learned anything tonight? What what are your thoughts? You know, what have you learned throughout everything that we've done for the past four weeks? Uh, it will be good to to get some feedback. Amen. If you have any questions too, the floor is open. God bless you. Well, I can start by giving my feedback. I did read the book. But as I've gone through it for the past four weeks, I felt like, wow, I'm gaining deeper understanding into the book. I thought I really understood the book too. We decided to go through it um, corporately and I've gained more understanding. So it will make me go back to reread it again. Amen. So I've, I've really been blessed by the book and I found God that God really inspired our presiding bishop to write this book. Amen. That's my feedback. Has anybody learned anything? What did you learn throughout the series? What did you learn tonight? Do you have any questions? Yeah, I think what I want to share on tonight's study is um, the explanation on the foolishness of God. Uh, um, I mean, that it makes it clearer to me that, I mean, when we talk about the foolishness of the things of God to people who are um, the secular people, people who, who are unbelievers, is because they they don't have their understanding. They, it's it's foolishness to them because they don't understand. And so in scripture, when the Bible says that the wisdom of God is foolishness to men, it means men don't understand the wisdom of God. And so I mean, using the example that you use, even though it it has a lot of sense because you 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 don't um you don't have understanding. It it makes absolutely no sense to you. For instance, if somebody is maybe teaching something in a language that you don't understand even though he might be he might be saying something that is very sensible and precious but because you, you don't understand it is just it is just noise to you it is just foolishness to you so 
Yeah, that's that's one thing that I really got from today's study. Amen. That's very powerful. So this year, I pray that anything that seems foolish to us concerning God in our pursuit of Christ, it will not become foolish. And like one of the scriptures we read, God has given us the spirit of God to know freely the things he has given us. It's the will of God that he will be known. It's the will of God that he's not shrouded in mystery. It's the will of God that things become as plain as day, as crystal clear as water. But it comes at a pursuit of a relationship with him for that to happen. Amen. Who else? I, I guess I'll add um, um, when we are pursuing Christ on the three levels that you mentioned, there's a lot of uh, unlearning that needs to be done uh, because we're so, you know, perhaps accustomed to thinking or seeing or doing things a certain way. And um, when we meet with God's truth, um, a lot of those things have to be able to fall off. Amen. 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 God bless you. Father, thank you for what we have learned these past four weeks. This will not just be a seasonal or a yearly uh, theme or message, but it will be a life goal of ours to pursue you to the very end. And as we do that, oh Lord, may we be humble enough to learn and learn our traditions and, and relearn new virtues that will enhance our spiritual work with you. Thank you that that which seems folly is becoming wise to us. That which seems coded is decoded. That which looks foggy and very mysterious is becoming crystal clear and as plain as day to us, because we will pursue you. Father, at the end of it all, may each and everyone here say we have a sustainable, vibrant connection to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys.